Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is it. The time has come. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Push him down. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Adam Catterall. You're better than that. On Talk Sport. Welcome to the brand new sounding Fight Night podcast from Talk Sport. I'm Adam Catterall. It is a pleasure as always to be in your company. Um, And this is how the podcast is going to sound going forward. I'm basically going to present to you on a week-by-week basis the very best bits from our show that goes out on TalkSport between the hours of 9 and 12 on a Saturday night. So if you want the full edition, the full three hours, come and join us at 9 o'clock. If you want the best bits, if you're maybe going out on a Saturday night or maybe attending a fight and can miss some of the things that we're talking about and some of the big interviews that we bring you, then make sure you come back to the podcast because every single Monday morning, it'll be the best of the show from the Saturday night before. Hopefully that makes a little bit of sense to you. Uh, Now, it's been a bit of a crazy week. As you know, a couple of YouTubers went toe-to-toe at the Staples Centre in Los Angeles. Gareth A. Davis was in attendance. There's a little bit on our podcast feed of that. If you want to hear all about it, then you're more than welcome to subscribe to the podcast and that'll drop into your inbox. But this one uh, is dedicated to the things that we were talking about on Saturday night. For example, looking back at Canelo... Uh, Anthony Crawler retiring, Nicola Adams retiring, uh, and of course, talking about all the big stories from the week. We started uh, the show at the weekend actually talking about UFC, because last week, myself and Nick Pete were in New York City for UFC 244. So I think it's only fair, that's where we should start this week's podcast, by having a look at Masvidal becoming the BMF. I just want to shed light on this fantastic event from Madison Square Garden last weekend because MMA now is officially more popular than boxing, <laughs> according to DAZN, <laughs> the uh, over-the-top streaming service over in the States. They decided to delay their broadcast of Canelo Kovalev last week in order for UFC 244 to finish. Have you ever come across anything like that in your 20 years of covering this sport, Nicholas? Nothing ever to that magnitude and certainly not involving the biggest star in boxing, the biggest pay-per-view star mm. in fight sports, Canelo Alvarez, sitting in his own dressing room inside the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas for over an hour 
waiting for the UFC main event to finish up at Madison Square Garden on the other coast. Absolutely bonkers. No, undoubtedly, it drove hardcore boxing fans insane. And listen, I, I don't blame, I don't necessarily blame Dazon. I blame Golden Boy for not having a couple of fights ready to put on instead of making people wait an hour and forty minutes inside the T-Mobile Arena for the next fight. It must have been kind of, you know, he must have been bored, senseless, just sitting there waiting for the main event. But how, how dare you say that? They put UFC two four four on the big jumbo well, well, screen. Well, that's what I mean. They had to in the end. Mm. They had to do something just to keep people entertained. So. Listen. Imagine that. At imagine least, at imagine least buying a ticket. I know. Imagine buying a ticket for the boxing to and watch then MMA on a screen. <laughs> and then you get an hour and a half of MMA on a screen. It just doesn't make any sense. And for, and you know what? The crazy thing is, MMA would never have done that. The UFC would never ever have sat on their main event. Yeah. Even to put Canelo versus Kovalev on the main screen, they just wouldn't have done it. Mm. I've been there at big events when they've had boxing at the same time, and I've been trying to stream it on my phone, on my laptop, while I'm watching a different fight in the ring or the cage. It just doesn't happen. But the zone have got so much money, they've got so much power in the sport these days. It was their decision. Insane. Mm, it was insane. We will talk uh, Canelo Kovalev in a moment or two because the finish in that fight is absolutely superb. But there was a lot of finishes that were absolutely superb at Madison Square Garden as well for UFC 244. The main reason why we were there, let's be honest, was to follow Darren Till. Could he rise from the flames? He's not had the greatest of years as Darren, obviously after that uh, knockout defeat at UFC London to Jorge Masvidal. Earlier, he had his world title efforts in Dallas against uh, Tyrone Woodley, where he, he, he was defeated there. So he's coming off the back of a couple of losses, stepped up in weight, and the week, blooming heck, the week couldn't have gone any worse, could it? Because of visa issues and various other things, he didn't actually arrive in New York City until Thursday. I'll tell you something, Nick's backside were a little, it were like a 50p. <laughs> Squeaky bum time, as Sir Alex Ferguson once said. It was very close, wasn't it? And, and you know, another few hours, it, you know, he had literally not made the fight. And then when you throw that into the mix, that fact that he, you know, he obviously was jet lagged, obviously his preparation was completely way off. You know, he just wasn't in the country at all. He didn't know what was going on. No one knew what was going on. Eventually, finally, uh, as you discovered, speaking to Dana White, the UFC president, his visa did get sorted. It did go pretty high up the political yeah. chain to get it sorted. But then he finally arrives, arrives in New York. He gets to the arena. He's getting, you know, his preparation is then upset, like everyone's upset because President Donald Trump is in the building. So Secret Service closed down pretty much the whole of backstage. Yeah. So his preparation's all over the place there. Then he finally does get in the in the octagon. He's, he looks absolutely terrified. He well, just on that. Afterwards, he was terrified. Just on that, the mm-hmm. preparation, the fight nearly didn't go ahead because Donald Trump was in the building. Yeah, he couldn't have couldn't his, get his medical. He couldn't get his pre-fight medical, which is which is by law he has to do. Yeah, absolutely insane. And then you know he finally gets in there. He looks terrified. He has a good first round, and when you think, okay, his confidence is back now, then he takes an eye poke in the second round, which yeah. was horrific. Could yeah. have easily stopped the fight. Then his box pretty much falls out of his shorts. He's got an issue with his box protecting his, uh, you know, his... His gangoolies. Exactly, <laughs> protecting himself. So he's messing around with that the entire fight. Literally, everything that could have possibly gone wrong for Darren Till for that fight went wrong. And the fact that he came through it and won, he got a points decision. He got the victory over the guy who's just lost to the new champion, basically affirmed himself as a genuine top contender in the middleweight division. When you add all this together, you just think, wow. In terms of performances, that's got to be one of the biggest performances by a British fighter overseas in the UFC ever. Bigger than Bispin? One of the biggest. (laughs) 
one of the biggest. Listen, he shares a similar accent to Darren, so maybe that is as to why he's getting a little bit giddy. It was great. It was fantastic to watch and great to see him rise once again. And who knows what 2020 has in line uh, for Darren Anfield, Till. hopefully. Look at him. He's on Anfield, it already. He wants a big go. one. He wants a big one. Um, the main event, the BMF title was on the line. Just think about that for a second. For those that don't follow too much mixed martial arts, the beauty of it, especially with the UFC, we harp on all the time in the world of boxing, don't we? There's too many belts in this game. In the world of UFC, you have a divisional champion. That is it. You don't have in- well, you do have interim champions if the but champion the, is out. That's it. It's only if the champion's unavailable they bring yeah. in interim belts. You that's don't. It. You don't have pearl belts. You don't have diamond belts. You don't have intercontinental belts. You don't belts. have franchise champions. You don't have any of that. All right. One single, one song for each division. However, this time around, they decided to create a brand new belt called the BMF title. Sadly, I can't give you the full. Uh, pronunciation of the BMF title, but you can make it up yourself. Basically, these guys are bad MFs. That's that's where they're at. And the guys that were picked to obviously fight this, um, Net Diaz and Jorge Masvidal, mm-hmm. who many would say are these lads. BFs. BMFs. They, they are lads from a, a particular background. They've come up the hard way. They'll fight anybody, anytime, anywhere. And they proved that at the weekend by putting it all on the line in Madison Square Garden. You actually said on one of our shows earlier on in the week that the BMF title now has more credence and more value than any uh, actual world title in any of the other divisions. Absolutely. Completely agree. Because while the UFC is fantastic in that, you're right, each weight division has one world champion. Um, it's still down to politics, a ranking system, mm. whether your face fits. You know, in the UFC, there's a guy from Birmingham called Leon Edwards who's got, got this incredible unbeaten run in the welterweight division, but his face doesn't sit. He's, he's not a, mo- a needle t- a mover. He doesn't necessarily put a lot of bums on seats. Wow, he got bo- he got booed even fighting in London. He just isn't a fan's favourite, and that's the reason why he hasn't had a title shot so far, pure and simple. So politics always does get involved in some way, shape or form, even in the UFC where the best fights happen. But the beauty of the BMF belt is it's not confined to a weight division and it's not confined to any ranking system or politics. So when Jorge Masvidal, who won on Saturday, was presented with the BMF belt, the UFC said, right, that's his belt now. That's up to him to do what he wants. So now Jorge Masvidal, who is the BMF, he gets to choose who, where and when. And for that reason... I think it's the most valuable belt in all of mixed martial arts Mm. because everybody should desire that belt because he could, you know, fight at 165, invent a whole new weight class. It's up to him now. Or he could go, you know what, I'm going to go up to middleweight or I'm going to take this belt down to lightweight because there's a guy down at lightweight who I recognise as a bit of a BMF and I'm going to go and defend it against him. That's why it's so sensational. Mm, Called Conor McGregor. Anyway, uh, uh, how did you see the finish of that fight? Because it finished after the third round, 15 minutes of absolute brilliant fighting from both men, don't get me wrong, but one of them was more dominant. Uh, but it was finished on a cut. The doctor stepped in and advised the referee to call the fight off off the back of a nasty cut to Net Diaz. It was a, it, and you know, at the time, obviously, I was upset. We were all upset. We were bouncing around backstage, weren't we? Saying, "How can you stop a BMF title fight on a cut? Come on!" A bit more than a cut. His eye were hanging off. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it was a little bit more than a Harry Potter, wasn't it? It was probably even worse than Tyson <laughs> Fury's. So, uh, you know, afterwards you kind of thought it had to be stopped. It was that bad a cut. Hopefully they will get a rematch at some stage. But then Dana White's come out and gone. For me, Jorge Masvidal won all three of those rounds before yep. the doctor stopped it. I don't need to see the rematch straight away. Let's do something else. And that's why I think the door is ajar just enough for Mr. Conor McGregor to come billion dollar walking in to to get back in the win column in January 
and to claim his shot at that BMF you, belt. You're convinced, like. aren't you, that January 18th, Conor McGregor walks back in, fights someone like a cowboy Cerrone or something yep. like that, gets a victory there, no disrespect, Donald, but I think that's been set up for Conor in order to get himself back in the win column. And then what? International Fight Week you're looking at? International Fight Week. First week in July, Conor McGregor, the Jorge Masvidal for the BMF title. I think it's an absolute shoo-in. Because in a new weight category or at lightweight? At the, either or, to be honest with you. I think, I think both be... Conor and Jorge are quite happy to fight at welterweight or lightweight. It's up to how Jorge Masvidal, where he feels strongest. Maybe he thinks, you know what, Nate Diaz beat Conor McGregor at welterweight. I'll stay at welterweight. I've just convincingly beat Nate at welterweight. Yeah, yeah. I'll make Conor come up to me. So... Or set up one six five. The reason he will get it, the reason Masvidal will go for Connor, and Connor, Connor will want Masvidal because Connor will want the BMF belt because that's what he's all about, and he yeah. will want the one thing that is unique to the sport. You know, he was the first guy to be a two weight simultaneous two weight world champion. He will see that belt of his his chance to add to his legacy. So he will one hundred percent want that belt. And in terms of Masvidal, it's time to cash in, and there's no better way to cash in than Conor McGregor. Mm. Um, it was an epic weekend in New York. Uh, if you've not seen any of UFC 244, listen, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. Go back now. Go and watch uh, Kevin Lee versus Gregor Gillespie, one of the knockouts of the year. It was absolutely sensational. Derek Lewis versus Ivanov. Yes, it goes the distance, but it's still amazing in the heavyweight division. Stephen Thompson puts on a world-class striking masterclass against uh, Vincente Luque. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum and Darren Till we just spoke about, and obviously the BMF title on the line uh, for Nate Diaz and uh, Jorge Masvidal. Go and check them all out, including as well Corey Anderson, who was on the undercard, the prelims, didn't even make the main card. Corey Anderson knocking out uh, Johnny Walker. It was brilliant. All of it was absolutely sensational. You will, you can send me a thanks later on Twitter. Now, as well as UFC 244 going down last weekend in New York City, on the West Coast in Las Vegas, a certain Mexican was becoming a four-weight world champion, setting new records and breaking history. That is, of course, Canelo beating Kovalev to become the light heavyweight champion of the world. Let's have a little review. Last weekend, the Mexican was daring to be great, stepping up in weight once again to take on the light heavyweight champion in Sergei Kovalev. Uh, and he came he came through. It was fruitful for him. He is now the WBO light heavyweight champion of the world with an 11th round stoppage. But he didn't have it all his own way, did he, Nick? No, he didn't. You know, I thought he lost the first three rounds at least. Um, thought he won the fourth and maybe Kovalev came back into it the fifth. You know, go, through the early part of the fight, you would definitely say Kovalev was on top. But then... Canelo just seemed to get stronger and stronger and Kovalev's old legs just started to slow down that little bit. And then obviously when the finish came in the 11th, it was absolutely sublime. Mm. You know, he's picking him off with those left hooks to the body pretty much all fight. And then he hits him with two of them in the 11th. Kovalev thinks there's a third one coming a few seconds later and Canelo switches it up to a left hook to the chin. And once he hit him on the chin clean, that right hand that followed down the pipe was, uh, was pretty much instantaneous. And that was it. Kovalev was sagged up against the ropes a sensational knockout and a sensational performance by the biggest star in boxing. Mm. Uh, social media is a funny funny place off the back of uh, fights like that. Kovalev took a dive. He took a dive. He, he, he took one on the whiskers. He's what he, he, he's what he took, mate. Sports mad, isn't it? Mm. Um, and also then, obviously, you get loads of other people throwing the two Ps in uh, regarding their thoughts on the fight. I genuinely thought that ver- from the very first moment, Canelo was looking for that finish. Mm-hmm. Listen, I think it's testament to how good Kovalev is as a boxer. We've 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 spent a long time watching Kovalev just be a crusher, haven't we? We've seen him come in just absolutely nailing people for fun. We'll speak about Noye Inoue, who mm-hmm. again a lot of people well 
uh, are thinking that he's just a banger. He's not. We, he proved that uh, on Thursday of this week against Nanita Denaire in the World Boxing Super Series final. But for years, we've been thinking that Crusher just comes in, bullies people, smashes them to live, smashes them to bits. But he had a wonderful amateur pedigree and a wonderful amateur career. Yeah. And I think his tactics going into this fight were right. Let's box. Let's do a little bit. And if the opportunity comes, let's let's get stuck in. Which maybe took Canelo by surprise early doors. And he listen, his ring IQ is exquisite. He figured it out. And he was trying to set that finish up from the very, very start of the fight. Lots of body work, but the way that he ends up going about getting the finish, faking a body shot with that little corkscrew up a cook. It's a weird shot that he yeah, throws yeah. with the with the left. It hook. looks like a left hook to the body, but he yeah, switches it. Switches it, kind of switches it mid-flight, but he shapes up exactly the same way he throws a left hook to the body. Beautiful. He just kind of slightly just turns it, boom. And as Kovalev, as you say, he's ducked down to protect his ribs. He's dropped his right elbow down to protect that rib. And as he's done that, he's left his jaw wide open. But it was the fact that as soon as he landed it, yeah. Canelo quickly changed his feet and, and followed it up with a straight right hand, which mm. is, it, that was the shot which obviously switched Can, uh, Kovalev off. Sensational performance. It was a sensational performance. And as I said, he's now the WBO light heavyweight champion. Now, you think that that's a smash and grab, don't you? Yes. You think he's coming back down? Well. Or do you? Now. It <laughs> could be an opportunity up a cruiserweight. Well. Which would be insane. Let me just explain this. So what has happened is, in the World Boxing Super Series, the final is supposed to be Unidotikos versus Maris Bredis, right? And that is supposed to be a unification of the WBO and IBF cruiserweight championships. Bredis came through his semi-final, right, against Glowacki. However, anybody that has seen that fight know that it's a little bit contentious because Bredis whacked him with a... An MMA elbow, <laughs> let's, be, let's be straight. He yep. did, he elbowed him in the head and near enough knocked him out. And then there was a couple of shots after bells and various things like that. Now, Glowacki's team have obviously appealed the decision of getting beat in that semi-final. It has been upheld by the WBO. The WBO have ordered an immediate rematch. So the semi-final, they've said, Glowacki versus Bredis has to be replayed. Yeah. Before... The final of the World Boxing Super Series, which is supposed to be Bredis versus Dortikos. Now, this obviously throws the competition all over the place. Now, the rumour is, and it's not confirmed as of yet, Bredis will vacate the WBO championship. So he'll chuck that to the wind. Glowacki will obviously fight for that vacant title at some point. But Bredis will then go on to complete the World Boxing Super Series, taking on the IBF champ, Uni Dortikos. So that's to one side. Now, this is where the caveat comes in. Because Canelo is the light heavyweight champion, the WBO light heavyweight champion, there is a thing, as per the rules of the WBO, that if you are the champion of a lower weight class, if you step up in weight class, you then become the automatic mandatory for that title in the weight class that you're stepping into. So, for example, Canelo's light heavyweight champion, if he goes up to cruiserweight, because he's the WBO champion at light heavyweight, he can then activate a clause which makes him mandatory for the WBO cruiserweight championship. This is crazy because that belt might become vacant and therefore Glowacki will fight for it. He could end up fighting Canelo at cruiserweight. Which would be insane. And that really would... Insane! That really would raise some serious questions about Mexican beef and what it actually does for the human body genetically. But also you can... You can retain that mandatory stop by moving down as well. So there is still an opportunity of him moving down to super middleweight and and getting an immediate fight against Billy Joe Saunders, which I would I would think would be more suitable to Canelo. <laughs> 
than going. This up, is Canelo though. Than going up and fighting Glowacki up a cruiserweight, which would just kind of be insane. And as well as that, obviously Billy Joe Saunders is fighting on this card, KSI Logan Paul, and he's been saying all week Canelo is not a legitimate full weight world champion because he holds the WBO WBA regular, regular belt yes. at super middleweight. Now everybody knows if you follow this, there is a WBA super belt which people would class as the proper super middleweight champion, which Callum Smith holds. It's very, very confusing, I know. But Billy Joe Saunders has started the rhetoric this week of saying, listen, Canelo, you want to be a four-weight world champion? You've got to come through me, sunshine. Yeah. Let's get it on. You've got to beat a proper world champion, and hopefully that will happen. Did you see the news this week of the WBC? Now, I know they're a bit of a joke outfit these days as much as anybody else, but they'd come out and they've tackled the Clem Bruterol situation. Yeah, if you're Mexican, it's okay. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> They're saying now that there's a level, isn't it, of Clem Brutal that must, yeah. must be in the system. Now, this is something we talked about at length covering MMA and covering UFC, that yeah. the, the testers are testing to too infinite uh, a percentage of things, whereas the VADA are saying, right, you can't have more than, say, 8% of something in your system, of this one thing in your system. And they're measuring... For it to be performance enhancing. Performance enhancing. But then the testers are now measuring and going, you've got 0.004% of this in your system. It's getting flagged. People are getting banned, everything else. Now, that's what WBC have come out and said about Clenbuterol. They're saying, what Canelo were tested for for Clenbuterol was due to tainted meat. Mm. And if you look at the VADA code, they're saying Clembutrol needs to be at a certain level and what he tested for was below that level. Now, I'm for that. I am for drawing a line in the sand with every PED. Yeah. Saying, right, this PED, it's 4%. This PED, it's 12%. And everything should have its own percentage. And then the testers should only be testing to that point. They yeah. shouldn't be testing below because because this is the situation we're in right now. We all want clean sports, no more so than fight sports. We want the MMA and boxing to be the cleanest sports out there for obvious reasons. But when you're testing to such a... Just because you can test at that level doesn't mean you should test mm. at that level. So the whole Canelo thing, listen, I know, that, I know WBC is a Mexican organisation. Canelo's a Mexican fighter and a mm. Mexican national hero. Of course, they're trying to just kind of make him cl- as clean as possible. Hence the reason why he only got a six-month ban when he should have got a two-year ban. But still, I, I, I agree with them that there needs to be a line in the sand with every PED. My only problem is with the clenbuterol thing is that it's well known that clenbuterol is a masking agent as well as obviously a performance yes. enhancer. So therefore, it could be hiding something else. And that's my only problem with it, because I don't know the levels that would be required of Clembutrol to be in a system to mask another drug. Of course. That's my only beef with it. Yeah. See what I did there? My only beef? Never mind. I'll leave the jokes to actual comedians. Um, But yeah, you are right. And there definitely does need to be strict, not stricter rules, but there needs to be a little bit more transparency on the levels that need to be in someone's system for it to be performance enhancing. Yeah. Listen, the man is on paper a four-weight world champion. We are going to have a conversation a little bit later on in the show about pound-for-pound lists uh, because my number one has changed this week and it's not because of Canelo, all right? That's how fickle I am. When you go and watch this little guy fight, I'd say something on Thursday. Anyway, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Um, But for me, you can't have a person that has been convicted of cheating through drugs, performance enhancing, as your pound-for-pound number one, even though Ring Magazine might tell you something differently. Yeah, I agree. Because they've changed that up this week. He's a four-weight world champion. There's a possibility he could make it a five-weight world champion. But for me, I think the fight to make is Billy Joe Saunders, is it not? Uh, absolutely. And, and I think Billy Joe Saunders is right because we talk about this all the time. The WBA world title is not the world title. The world title is the WBA super world title. Yes. The one that Callum Smith owns. The WBA belt that Canelo currently has or had 
yeah. is is basically an interim world title belt. It's not the full world title belt. For the same reason that Devin Haney, my favourite fighter right now coming through, young boxer, who fights this weekend, he is not WBC champion until he defends the belt this weekend. For me, wins the belt. For me, it's like a wake a vacant title at the moment. But even when he wins it? It, even when he wins it on Saturday, it's still really only an interim belt because the world champion who hasn't lost that title and is still active in his is, weight category. Vasily Lomachenko. In in his in That's his weight I mean. category. So this is, the, this is the problem with the WBC franchise belts. Listen, we're, we're not even half an hour into the show and there'll be people listening to this so confused yeah, with everything that's going on in the world about? boxing. Listen, we're in it day in, day out, and we're confused. However, the WBC have really confused everybody by making these franchise champions. They started it off with Canelo, but it's because Canelo were flitting between weight categories. So Charlo becomes the WBC middleweight champion. Is he really a champion? Because he hasn't had to beat anybody to become that. Don't get me wrong, he became number one mandatory. Yeah, but the difference there is that Canelo has moved weights. Correct. So it, I don't re- I don't recognise Canelo as the WBC middleweight champion anymore because he's not a middleweight anymore. Okay. The problem I've got with Devin Haney being WBC lightweight champion Here is that go. the WBC lightweight champion is still over there. He's still in this weight division. He's still a lightweight and it's Vasily Lomachenko. I've got an issue with that. I've got no issue with Canelo moving away. For me now, Canelo is no longer a middleweight, so it makes no difference what the WBC want to call him. That's the American fight scene done from last weekend. Time to hop back home to Manchester because it was Crawler's last dance. I was absolutely gutted not to be there. Nick got on the phone earlier on this week for a little bit of a chinwag with one of Manchester's favourites. Boxing's not going to be the same without Anthony Crawler. Please tell us you're going to stay in the sport, Ant. Right, Nick, you okay, mate? Of course, of course I'm going to stay in the sport. I um, I say it all the time, but boxing almost a life, and it it takes up a huge part of my life, but I, so I'll 100% stay involved in the sport. I just, not as a fighter no more, not as a fighter no more. It's, um, I say I'll be in with the amateurs later on. I'll be in with the amateurs a few times a week. And um, I've got a young professional fighter who would train myself. And in, in time, whether I take on a stable of fighters, I really don't know. But um, it's been a huge part of my life, mate. It's been a crazy journey going back to 2006 yeah. now. You know, 13 years pretty much to the month. 14th of October 2006 was yeah. the pro debut. Back yeah. then, did you think 45 fights, selling out Manchester Arena, world champion, taking on the world number one on a couple of occasions, as you do. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Crazy when you look back on it now. Honestly, I don't know. I dreamed it. Whether I well and you know truly believed it, I don't know. Like I've always believed in myself, but whether I truly believed it had ever happened, I'm not sure. I certainly listen. I certainly didn't at certain points in my career, and if I would have said it still, I would have got laughed at. I'm probably locked up thinking, you know, I'm an absolute madman. But, uh, yeah, it's been it's been an absolutely crazy 13 years. I say all the time. I, think, I don't think a roller coaster that sums it up, really. There's been that many ups, downs, and you never would have imagined it. Honestly, it's, uh, it's been mad, and I'm I'm absolutely good. It's all over, and I'd, I'd love to do it all again. Yeah. Would you do it all again from now, or do you mean you want to replay it? You want to go back to... You know, I, I think you know. Sometimes you've got to suffer that pain and you know suffer the lows to to appreciate those highs so much. And that's what I did because I had I did have some like horrible lows you know, in my career as well. Yeah. Uh, I know people say, "Oh, it's just a boxing fight," and and then to be honest, when I did have those losses, and you know, there's always something that had happened around it, whether it be someone close to you or 
you know, you knew and you think. And then that made me think, you know what, I've lost a boxing fight, someone's lost a family member or something. And that put into, you know, that put into perspective, like, what, you know, what's important, what's not. But at the time, it felt like the end of the world. Yeah. I remember losing my first fight. At, um, I'm right here now, actually. Um, to Yusuf Alamedia. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, like things couldn't possibly get much worse. I couldn't, I couldn't take it in, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's been other points in my career as well. And, but now I think everything happens for a reason. Each, each one has had its own way of explaining himself. Like I said, so as much as I hate them, I'd love them not to have happened. They, they happened for a reason. It'd be easy to say which fight was your favourite, which fight you look back on. It'd probably be hard to pick one out, but which are the fights yeah. that you look back on and... Not necessarily regret, but like the you know the fight with Michael Brody. There's a there was a few fights in there, fight with Andy Morris, or even coming to Liverpool and fighting John Watson. These were moments that necessarily wouldn't be, yeah. you know, what you would put down. It's you know it's not on a par with Barroso, of course it isn't. But these are yeah. moments where you just kind of oh, tick the little box, mate. and people were going, okay, okay, we're on the right path here. So, uh, mate, totally like the John Watson fight. John was a quality fighter, and I remember sparring with him probably. 18 months, not a bit more actually, a few years before, it was a few years before, and it was, it was just too big for me, and too, I mean, it's not high to compare, but he certainly, you know, got the better of the spa, but I remember coming in, winning that Lonsdale belt, and I remember being so proud, like, looking at it at home for hours, and I remember being in the changing room at the Olympia, and it sounds, this was there for me, and that, they did not long been at the gym, and they was helping me, like, get my boots off and stuff. And I was looking at this Lonsdale belt, and I'd always looked up to them boys, mm-hmm. you know, from an amateur. And I'm like, wow, you don't understand this. And my dad, like, was an ex-boxer, so showing him the Lonsdale belt. I remember showing it him, and it was, I mean, he was there on the night, but, you know, showing it him, him holding it, looking at it. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is, like, some feeling. It's, um, and that's, in boxing, when you talk about regrets, I've got very few. I mean, they've all got the, the way of explaining it. And because I, I do, like, wish that he had a long sale belt to keep, yeah. uh, which, which every fighter does. But obviously, I won it, defended it, lost it to Debbie. And then I was fighting, I was going to fight mine, Geffen for it. Um, I'm very, very confident I would have won that fight. Um, and then I would have just needed the one more defense. But then Martin got injured. Um it didn't happen and then he ended up fighting the plan then was to either fight Martin when it was rescheduled for the vacant title I mean not for the vacant title to try and win it back I was to fight John Murray and the John Murray fight was almost a bit like a breakout fight yeah. where what so that was his way of explaining it do you know what I mean Nick like that night it was a huge Manchester fight the fight where my, my fan base grew and grew because of it and that was my reason, I believe, for not winning a Lonsdale belt outright. Do, does that make sense? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, but it's just like you say. One, I'd say one fight um, just makes a huge can make a huge sort of difference in the direction your career will go, which is obvious. Like a loss, but like you know, certain decisions just make huge. And there's no there's no regrets because then if I would have took the Martin fight, even if I would have won that, I would have loved about right. I might have never got that profile fight with John, which yep. then pushed me on to allow me to 
sell more tickets to bring fighters over for world titles. Do you know what I mean? You just, you really don't know. Listen, I, I know you, you made the Manchester Arena your own in the end as well on Saturday. Absolutely proved that. What a beautiful thing that it came full circle. Your debut was there. Your final fight yeah. was there. But you're one of the few British fighters as well that's had his arm raised in Las Vegas, don't forget. Yeah, it was. And that was a mad experience. Like, I went over to it. I was going to Las Vegas on the Sunday morning. Don't forget, it's September 11th. Uh, we was, we was, I was flying over it. And the guy who was meant to come over me because late on, on, the, on the Saturday night when I was fighting, um, Stephen Smith was fighting Lee Selby Paul was fighting Liam Smith was fighting we was all fighting yep. and um, Joe just said to me on call listen he says and the, the right decision as well he says Stephen's got such a hard fight here um, you know Paul and Liam are on it's wrong with me as a trainer to come with you to Las Vegas for an eight round or then mm-hmm. to stay here and um, I totally was, I was like no totally but he said but I don't want to Rob you that chance of fighting over in Las Vegas. And Floyd so Mayweather bill as well, wasn't it? Yes, on a Floyd Mayweather bill, you know, the, the decision was just so the um, the occasion, the opportunity was so big. And as I got to the airport, the guy who was meant to go out with he was looking after me all week. He comes in the airport, his son's not been well as in hospital, he couldn't fly, so for the week then I was on my own and it was just like you know, it was, it was just an experience. It was an experience until Mike Marsden was managing at the time, got over the night before the weigh-in. Mental. So it was it was like... <laughs> and what I learned then, I, so I was in Vegas on my own, and I remember realising, when I think back now, I was, you know, I was training, looking after myself, but it was a proper growing, like, made me grow as a person as well as a fighter. Like, yeah. I was... You made mistakes when I was walking up and down the street. You know what it's like when you're in Vegas and you're looking around and... They're doing I wasn't the tourist thing. In the way I should have been, even though I was on my own. Yeah, exactly. I was a tour- I was on my own. Didn't know. I was going in the gym on my own, and it was just um, yeah. It's like say, so I fought in Vegas, fought in LA. The only one I didn't do was fight in New York. Um, so I, it's a career where I've got to be so happy and content with. Yeah. Saturday night. Listen, it didn't all go perfectly on Saturday night. Or maybe it did. Yeah. You know, because speaking to Joe Gallagher, Joe said the worst thing that yeah. could have happened if Anthony looked sensational, smoked him, or even just won every yeah. round because it would have been hard then because everyone would say, oh, you've still got it. Keep going, keep going. There's big fights. Yeah. So, in a lot of ways, Saturday night, it felt right that you went, boom, that's it, yeah. done. Possibly, yeah. I'd, I um, I don't ever hear me saying it. I'd, you know, after three rounds or so, I sat down and I just thought, I've not got this no more. Like, I just. I just knew, do you know what I mean? And yeah. I felt old in there. I was, there were shots and Joe was saying to me, and I knew exactly what he was saying, what he was going to say. But it was like I couldn't do anything about it. And and I don't know, do you know, like all week, he was saying about it being emotional and stuff. And it, it was such an emotional week, an emotional night. And it was almost like I got in the ring. And everything had happened. I had this great reception and that. And then I looked across at the bells out to go on a fort. I've still got a box here. I've still got to do a job. Yeah. And it was mad. And I was like, I don't mean it to sound, it was, I don't mean to sound disrespectful anyway to my opponent. But I know if, if it was like, you know, say the night of Barroso or some of the other nights, yeah. that would have been so comfortable for me on Saturday night. And I just, I made such hard work of it. Like, I, listen, I've, I've got so much respect 
than Mark Maxey and Adam Smith and that. Like Matthew, I could listen to speak all to him speak all day. But mm-hmm. I thought I think there was not a chance I didn't win the fight. I thought there was not a chance I didn't win the fight. But I made such hard work of it. I made such hard work. But Eddie got in the ring after it and I said, "Oh, Jack," and he went, yeah, "I think you've got it by one." And in my head, I thought, "Really?" At first, he's like, "You know, I had the crack about it." He had the wind up, and then. When the first scorecard got run out, and then I watched it, and I thought, listen, I thought I'd definitely done enough, but I shouldn't have been struggling like that whatsoever. And it was when the fight started, Nick, I thought, even though it was a really bad start, I thought, I'm going to get to him. And I think I said it to Joe in the corner, I thought, I'll get to him yeah. by about the halfway mark. And it just didn't happen. The shots just didn't come out. And yeah, it was it was it was always going to be my last fight anyway. Like I said, I wanted people to be going, no, don't retire. And I was I was believing I was going to be strong enough, but that hundred percent like made like people close to me who were saying, you know, I don't know if you're making the right decision. They said to me after it, like, no, Cole, you know what? It's good that you're bowing out. Listen, mate, I speak for every fight fan in the country when I say, and it, and even globally as well. Thank you so much for the 45 fight journey. It was an ah, absolute pleasure you, to be ringside. I was gutted. In fact, Adam, we were both gutted. We're watching it in New York. Gutted oh, we weren't man. there for it because we've been at so many fights in the past. But oh, listen, mate, you. You do the one, you've done the one thing that every fighter can dream of. You climbed to the very top. You were the champion of the world. You fought the very best yeah. of your generation. And now you're getting out on your terms as well. That's incredible. Yeah. And I've got to be happy in contempt And I really am, honestly, mate. I really am. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now, watching fights. Thursday lunchtime could be the new thing, especially if they're as good as the final of the bantamweights in the World Boxing Super Series. Noya Inoue versus Nanita Denaire is an absolute fight of the year contender. If you missed it, I fully encourage you to get on your planner and have a little bit of a nosy for it because it's well worth the watch. Or you could just stick around for the next couple of minutes because me and Nick Pete talk about it a lot and get very excited. Thursday lunchtime for British fight fans was an absolute treat. I've no doubt there's a lot of people listening to this right now that maybe 
had an extended lunch hour, told the boss that they were, uh, I'm off for a, a meeting, and then nipped down to the local <laughs> boozer to uh, to watch these two go at it in the World Boxing Super Series final. It happened in Saitama in Japan, and it was absolutely sensational. Listen, on last week's show, we told you that it was going to be the fight of the week. It's the biggest fight of the week, no question about it. The big question over the fight is, where was Nanito Donaire in his career at this moment in time? Could he tame the monster? Could he could he ask the monster any questions? My word, did he ask him some questions. And Absolutely. he proper took him into deep waters. But off the back of that, how good is Noye Nue to yeah. answer those questions? Not only answer them, but answer them with interest and come through and be crowned uh, the unified bantamweight champion and the winner of the Muhammad Ali trophy. Listen, Nanito Denaire, before we wax lyrical, we need to say how sensational Nanito Denaire was. You know, he's a 45, 46 fight veteran now. Absolute Filipino fighting icon. 36 years of age. Been there, done it. Wore the T-shirt. Multi-weight world champion himself, yeah. Absolutely sensational career. And the way he turned back the clock in this tournament took everybody by surprise. We didn't realise he had this kind of left in the tank. He was, you know, we had the performance against Ryan Bayonet. Of, of course, Ryan Bayonet famously got injured. He was, uh, you know, everyone's, uh, all British fans, really, British and Irish fans, favourites to do well here. But he had the win over Ryan Bayonet. Then looked sensation against Stefan Young, where he got that incredible knockout. He accelerated into the finals against the monster. Let's let's be honest, the new way hasn't put a foot wrong his entire career. Probably the biggest puncher alongside Deontay Wilder in the entire sport. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking, even going into the fight, we had a conversation and you were saying to me, won't go three rounds, yeah. won't go three rounds. Yeah, and I was yeah. going, we just need Denier to ask questions. I just want to see a new way on the back foot for once to see what happens. And boy, did Denier turn up. He turned up with his A game. They both turned up with their A game on Thursday. And sometimes when that happens, when you've got two guys who are the best in the world in their weight divisions, and they both turn up with their A game, it's lightning in a bottle time. You get something a little bit special. And forever now, I will remember the Thursday lunchtime, I sat at home with a cup of tea, watching these two go to war in the World Boxing Super Series final. Nanito Denier would have beat any man in the bantamweight division on Thursday, I truly believe that any other man. Yeah. But in a new way, in Japan, he found a young man that has got so much talent and so much ability, but also the entire nation behind yeah. him, supporting him. That even though he caught a new way with some big shots, he wasn't able to stop his forward momentum. He wasn't able to stop the tidal wave of support and ambition that this Noya Anue carries with him. And I think Dene was sensational, going the distance, pushing the new way the way he did. Absolutely incredible performance from Nanito Dene. But in Noya Anue, boxing has got a truly global superstar. Mm. You know how thick I am. He's the pound for pound number one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, do you know something? I'm going to give you some uh, legit reasoning as to why I think this, right? You, the Ring Magazine have put out their pound for pound list this week. First of all, no, Josh Taylor. Are you are you for real? Josh Taylor's not in the top ten. Come on, get a grip. So they've got Josh Taylor and Callum Smith, current Ring Magazine belt champions, and they only award those belts to the guys who clean up and unify their divisions that they recognise as yeah. undisputed number one in your weight division, regardless of anything going on. You are the number one. Took two of those guys. Neither of them are in the top ten of no. the Ring Magazine rankings. Which you know, I'm more disgusted with the Josh thing because of the level of opponents that he has beaten to this particular point. However, right, so neither of them are in the top ten. They've put Canelo as their number one. My thought process is you can't have a drug cheat as your number one pound for pound. So that 
Even though you look at his resume and there's some fantastic names on there and people might argue, well, he's talking them at this time of their careers and various things like that. Listen, Canelo's resume is bang on. You watch him last weekend. His ring IQ is exquisite, but he's a drug cheat, so he can't be my pound for pound number one. So he's out of there. Now, my previous two that I always used to flip-flop between, Terence Crawford is one of them. Yeah. Terence Crawford cleaned up the super lightweight division, became, as you've just mentioned there, ring magazine champion there, undisputed. He had all the belts when he moved up to welterweight. At super light. But if you look at the level of his opponents, they've just not, they're not at that level. And it's not his fault. He wants him. He wants Errol Spence. He wants Pacquiao. He wants all the rest of them. But because of politics, he's been frozen out of getting the super fights at the welterweight division. Yeah. At some point, I hope that he gets the opportunity to do that because I genuinely believe he'll clean up at welterweight. But at this moment, he hasn't been given that opportunity. So he can't be my pound for pound number one. Now, previously, obviously, I'm going crazy about. Vasyl Lomachenko, as you are as well. Vasyl Lomachenko, without any shadow of a doubt, multi-weight world champion, beating the best of the best and doing it in extraordinary ways. It's beautiful to watch at times. The reason why I am going with Noya Inoue over the top of him is this. If you were to write a textbook on boxing, footwork, hand speed, power, balance, everything, anything that you can think of to do with the, the world of boxing traditionally, the world of boxing, you would draw Noya Nui. Yes. He does everything textbook and he does it so well. Yes. Lomachenko's off-piste. He does it his own way. Bingo. And he does it He does it brilliantly, don't get me wrong, but he does it like nobody else has ever seen it before and he does it like nobody else can do it. Bingo. But Noya Nui is... He is an artist, mate. He is boxing porn, if I can say that. He is just phenomenal. Everything that you want him to be, he is. And he answered all the questions on Thursday because he got tagged a couple of times on the whiskers and he came back even stronger. He never, even when he's getting whacked on the chin, he's never out of shape. And when I say that, I mean his shape is in his balance and his footwork and everything. Everything's in the perfect position to take the shots. Yeah. It's unbelievable to watch. It is incredible. And he, and his performance, are we, are we into the, are we, are we doing the pound for pound debate? Are we, are we, are we going in? No, you knew it's number one. No, that's it. I'll switch your mic off. Right, carry on. <laughs> For the exact reasons you've just explained. Because he does it like nobody else. Lomachenko is the number All one. All right, okay. So, Noya Nui, his performance again on Thursday, absolutely sensational. Sensational. That's how boxing should and be. as you said. That's how boxing should be. He is, to the textbook, sensational. Oh. Footwork, amazing. Shot selection, amazing. Carries tons of power. Can take it. He's a dream. Turns his fist over, lovely. Throws every shot in the book, lovely. Super explosive. And by the way, some of the fastest hands I've ever seen in boxing yeah. of any weight division. Oh. Incredible. And in terms of being an artist, he's like a... He's Picasso, mate. No, he isn't. There's the point. Ah, okay. So it's, he's like, van, he's it's, like, he, it's like he's been to university. It's like he's been to the best university in the world <laughs> and learned how to paint. He's drawing by numbers. And he's a doctor of painting via university. Okay. But someone like a Lomachenko... He's a Picasso. He's a Picasso. <laughs> he's not been taught by anybody. He's just been... He's just about he the just gift from God that he's just got it. And he's just been gifted. He's born with it. He's born with this ability to do boxing like we've never seen boxing before. For that reason, I've still got Lomachenko as my number one. Now, I know Ring Magazine, their rating system is obviously different from our rating system. They yeah. kind of go on. Americans. Beat, well, yeah. <laughs> they go beat when you're beaten, if you're Mexican or not. If you're Mexican, <laughs> then you're going to go top of the list because it's the WBC. But in terms of, I think, uh, a lot of the other outfits are like us. You know, there's a lot of other... Uh, Boxing writers of America, people like that, um, ESPN, other other outlets 
who agree that Lomachenko is still the number one, right behind them. In New in, in, in number be. two, uh, and Canelo's third and fourth. Of course he is, because you you have to look at the manner of the performance, not just the dance partner, because that's not fair. Because as you say, as good as Canelo's record looks, he handpicked Rocky Fielding, he handpicked Kovalev. There was guys in those weight divisions that would have been undoubtedly wow. You beat him, you're the part. If he'd have beat Callum Smith and then went beat Baterbiev, oh. wow, there's no conversation no more. Canelo's the number one. He's just picked off the two best guys in the two weight divisions nah, above. He's still but he dr- didn't do that. He's still on drugs. He's not in mine. He didn't do that. And he's not at the top of my list either. But way, wow. Listen, we knew this kid was good. And we knew he had frightening power. And and he's he's got, he's got a real touch of death about him in terms of that. His power, his, his hand... His when, timing. When his fist it's, it's touches technique, your mate. chin, it's, technique. it's like a bomb goes off. It's like a detonator. And unlike Deontay Wilder, who's just completely wild and just has freakish, unnatural power, Inoue does, does it all perfectly with technique. It's all about timing and it's all about speed as well. But usually in these lighter weight divisions, the fact that speed kills us because you get it with three or four shots before you see the first one coming. Of course. But with Inoue, you don't see the first one coming. There's no need for a second one. Because he can switch you out. And for for that reason, that's why Denier's performance was even better. Because he took big shots from Inoue. He proved that he's got one of the best chins the bantamweight division's ever seen. So for Inoue to rain on him the way he did, but then also be hurt and scrambled. There was two or three times in the fight where Denier would land a big left hook or a big shot. Yeah. Inoue was scrambled, rolling everywhere. And I was thinking, this is the moment. Who are you now? Let's see who you are now. And a new way, brushed himself off. Seconds. Let's go. Within seconds, his Unreal. feet were back in position underneath him. Unreal. And he knew what to do. And that's when you know you got something a bit special. Mm. Not just the puncher. Uh, not, su- not surprised that Top Rank, the promotional company, have signed him now. Apparently they signed him before he even got to the dressing room. Of course they did. Before he got to the dressing room. Do us a favour, stick your scrolly on this, sunshine. Um, because they're now going to do... Uh, I think they've scheduled him for two fights in America next year and then they'll take him back to Japan at some point by the back end of next year. Do not be surprised... If Noya Inoue turns up on the Wilder Fury undercard. We couldn't let this week pass without paying homage to Nicola Adams. A woman, a trailblazer, a pioneer for the female game. Without any shadow of a doubt, her name will go down in the history books of our beautiful sport. What an amateur career she had and obviously ended up retiring as a professional, as a world champion. Does it get better? Well, we had a little bit of a chat about that and you get to hear from her as she was speaking to Drive earlier on this week on TalkSport. I'm happy, I'm excited about what's what's to come next. I was a bit back and forth for myself, should I retire, should I not? But I'm I'm happy with uh, my decision. You know, I, I knew straight away. I wasn't I wasn't willing to take the chance to lose my sight over a, a com- another comp- competition. I've achieved everything as an amateur boxer, everything as a pro. I wanted to turn pro to become a world champion, and I've done that now. So yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm quite I'm quite I'm quite content with myself. Even when I even when I look back now at what I've done in my career and how far bo- women's boxing has has come since then. I mean, some people didn't even realise that women women actually even box mm. until after I won the gold medal. So to go from there to now, we've got women headlining in, in the in the pro ranks is, is unreal to see. Nicola Adams speaking to Drive a little earlier on this week after renouncing her retirement uh, from the world of boxing. As an amateur, Nick, she will forever be etched into uh, the history books as a pioneer. First ever woman to win an Olympic gold. First ever woman to win 
double Olympic gold. Her amateur pedigree stands up like no other. Absolutely phenomenal. You know, groundbreaking athlete, of course she was. She was a trailblazer. And her legacy will also will always be defined by that, you know. World Championship gold as well. Commonwealth Games gold. A uh, couple of European golds in there. She literally won everything that was ever laid out in front of her. And she can always say that between that golden period of 2012, 2016, those four or five years, she was untouchable mm. uh, as a boxer. But regardless of her weight class, it was the fact that she didn't push doors open. She kicked them open. You know, she in lifting that gold medal in London in 2012, that was a defining moment in women's boxing history that will always belong in some way to Nicola Adams. Mm. And everything that happened after that, of course, getting a, a second gold in 2016 out in Brazil and turning professional and everything else is just part of her journey. But for me, define, that defining moment in 2012, yeah, that double champion salute that she did then, you know, the, the haircut, everything. One of, it's one of those defining moments in sport. I remember it like it was yesterday. And that will always belong to Nicola Adams. Here's one for you then. Did she leave turning pro too late? Um, because she stayed up. You see people win an Olympic gold and then they got turnover straight away and then they crack on with their career. But 2012 was no time to be a female boxer. That's a good point. There was no real era then, you know. Yeah, Katie no Taylor did a similar thing, didn't she? She stayed on for 2016 as well. It didn't yeah. work out for her in 2016, but it definitely did work out for Nicola Adams. It's the right decision. Of course. Because but, because you had all these girls turning at the same time. Yeah. Katie, Nicola, Clarissa Shields, you know, a lot of big amateur standout gold medalist stars that they turned over at the same time and it gave this real surge of adrenaline to women's professional boxing. Whereas I think if she'd have turned over in 2012, 2013, there really wouldn't have been that kind the of... The same momentum. The, the same momentum there. And the disappointing thing for Nicola, and it's hard to look at things that are disappointing now after such a career that she's had. Um, but when she did turn over, when she finally did turn over in 2017, she was a flyweight, you know, and, and unfortunately, just like in the men's weight classes, yeah. the lighter you go, interest wanes, certainly in, you know, in, in the part of the world that we live in. Um, if if she was a, a Mexican or a Filipino or, or even an Asian, she'd have probably made more of significance because the, the, the lighter weight classes are far more revered yeah. in those parts of the world. But it's you struggle to make a career as a professional fighter in the flyweight division. And even though she was phenomenal, she won a world title, not only won it, but she retained the world title as well, even though it was on a it was on a, a draw last time out. She'd done all she had to do. Her legacy was defined. Yeah. It was nice that she got to win a world title. Well, I feel for on that, because she got the world title by default, didn't she? They, yeah. they, they upgraded her from an interim world title to full world championship because they deemed that the, the champion at the time was inactive, which I thought was unfair because the reason why the champion was inactive because she'd been in a car crash and broke her ankle. Yeah. Um, so Nicola never got that moment of and the new in the yeah. ring, which, which you know, it, it doesn't rankle well with me that. I, no. I wish that she had been given the opportunity to do it. And like you said, last time out, it was a draw, so she still never got the opportunity to hear it. She knows the age that she's at, and where she's at, obviously for health reasons, we want our fighters to come out of this sport with all their faculties in intact. And I'm sure once the dust settles, me or anybody else, and even herself thinking, I never got the opportunity to hear and the new properly once uh, once I went into the professional game. Once that dust settles and she analyses everything she did achieve. And in fact, not just that, 
the girls that are coming through now and the girls that are going to come through in five years or, yes. or whatever it may be, they will look to Nicola Adams as the inspiration as to, as to why they are there. Seeing her on the podium at London 2012, she made it possible for a lot of people. She made a lot of people believe that things were achievable and especially then going on to 2016 and winning again yep. against the odds. Listen, pioneer. I think is uh, the word that you use for someone like Nicola Adams, especially in the amateur game. Absolutely, you know she was she was defining, and as I say, a legacy is assured. And I think she's the the first. She was certainly the first. She may even still be the only uh, female boxer to receive award from the Boxing Writers of Great Britain as well. She got the uh, the Joe Bromley Award a couple of years ago as well for her services to boxing. And, and as you say, it's the it's the going out and doing the school visits and meeting young girls who are trying to get into boxing now or just trying to get into sports and the support that she can give them and the inspiration behind it all. And I thought what was really nice this week is when she did uh, mention that she, you know, the, the issues behind her, but the fact that she was hanging up her gloves. She took a slight moment to just pay tribute to Jane Couch. Now, Jane Couch yeah. is a, was the most prominent female boxer when I was, was working the beat on the newspaper beat. And, um, you know, Jane didn't get anywhere near the support or even the, the, the financial rewards that the likes of Katie Taylor and Nicola Adams have seen subsequently. But if it wasn't for Jane Couch, absolutely, there wouldn't have been a path for these girls to follow. So amazing. Nicola paid tribute to Jane Couch, but, um, Nicola Adams, those two gold post boxes that she's got in the city centre, <laughs> they're going nowhere anytime soon. And you know what the beautiful thing about Nicola Adams is? You know she's going to stay as an ambassador for boxing mm. forevermore. And it's the next generation. It's the girls who stand on the podium in Tokyo 2020 that say, Nicola Adams inspired me to get here. That's her legacy now. Mm. If I were connected to the British Boxing Board of Control or even Team GB or whatever it may be, I'd be having a quick word in her ear now saying, what's your plans for the future? Because yep. we could be doing or using you as some type of ambassador, like you just said, to go around the gyms and be speaking to the next generation. Of course, absolutely. And as we said earlier, maybe one day, potentially, the uh, you know working for the British Boxing Board of Control. You never know. There's an idea. Mm -hmm. Enjoy retirement, Nicola. Uh, but we want to get you back to work quite quickly uh, to obviously inspire the next generations. Uh, sensational. So there you have it. That's the new Sounding Fight Night podcast here on TalkSport. If you like it, let us know. If you don't like it, let us know. All feedback welcome because we endeavour to improve what we're putting out to you on a week-by-week -week basis. Don't forget to come and join us every single Saturday evening from 9 o'clock on TalkSport. We've got three hours of full fight sports chat, mainly boxing, but there's a bit of UFC and MMA stuff in there as well. Uh, and we'll be back this weekend, so make sure you come and join us for that. Gareth will be back, hopefully, from Los Angeles to give us a full review of KSI versus Logan Paul, if indeed you need that. Uh, and of course, please subscribe to this podcast. It, it's in your feed every single Monday morning now. That's what we'll guarantee you. We'll be here every single Monday on your drive to work, your commute to work, however you're getting about your business on a Monday morning. This podcast will be there for you, looking back at the show that we provided on Saturday evening. So make sure you press subscribe. Please write us a little review if you're listening to us on iTunes iTunes because it helps with the, the standings in the iTunes charts, therefore more people can see us. It's as simple as that. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.